I invite you to stand in body or in spirit for the reading of our gospel. Our gospel reading today comes from the gospel according to John chapter 13. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him, and during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. You may be seated. Well, I'm so grateful to Henry, Kathy, and Joanna for that moving piece as we continue toward the cross during Holy Week. A few months ago, before Lent even began, we had a clergy ethics training through the North Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church here in our Annex Hall, just, just over there in the parking lot. And it was mandatory, which means over 100 clergy were packed into this Annex Hall to talk about ethics for seven hours, which to me is actually a really great time, but to many of you may sound like a specially crafted form of torture. But I loved it. It was really important, and I got a lot out of it. And one thing that stuck with me was the, the lesson's definition of power. It defined power as a measurement of your resources in relation to someone else. 
how many resources you have compared to what other people have. And it's situational is the interesting thing. Do you have that thing that someone else needs? Well, then you have the power in that situation. Are you on a plane 10,000 feet up in the air? Well, then the pilot has a lot of power in that situation. Did your car break down in the middle of 285? Well, the tow truck has a lot of power. Did a global pandemic just get announced on the news? Well, if you are a store owner and you have toilet paper in your store, you have a lot of power. And for the most part, we can predict with pretty good accuracy how that power is going to be used. It is going to be used to make the powerful more powerful. These resources are used to negotiate to benefit the one with the resources. That's why we're willing to be charged a crazy amount for fixing a broken leg or having our car towed from the middle of 285 or buying toilet paper when it's sold out everywhere else. That's just the way it is. And most of the time, it feels like the only way you can really win is to get more and more resources until you are the one with the power and you can use it to change things to change others, to use those resources to enact change. Well, this is how life feels today, and it's also how life felt back in Jesus' time. We've just come from Palm Sunday, and the chapter before this chapter we just read in John showed us Jesus entering Jerusalem triumphantly. Crowds gathered to meet him, rushing out to greet him and waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, you've come to save us. As Andrew pointed out in his sermon this past Sunday, the waving of these palm branches was actually a reenactment of something that happened 200 years before, a successful rebellion that took place in Jerusalem. You see, back then there was a Syrian empire that oppressed the Jews mercilessly. They had put many people to death and they had attempted to desecrate the temple by forcing the priest to sacrifice a pig on the altar. They were trying to go after not just the people of Israel, but the culture, the religion, to take it all to the ground. And eventually the Hebrew people had enough. And there was a revolt against the Syrian oppressors that went on for years. Seven years this revolt went on. And it was led by a man named Judas Maccabeus. Not that Judas. Judas Maccabeus. And Judas, this leader of this revolution, he had a nickname. People called him the Hammer. Ooh. And the hammer was something of a legend. He was like the George Washington of this era of revolution against these oppressors. He was feared and respected and a strategist. And he took what started as this vaguely organized revolt of farmers and workers and led it into a full-scale army of revolution. And eventually, the hammer died in battle. But the troops that he organized went on and eventually fought and gained religious and political independence. As a matter of fact, this was the first time in recorded history that a subject people had won a revolutionary war for religious freedom. And when that independence had finally been won, the people of Jerusalem waved these palm branches in celebration. Every year, the Jewish people heard of the hammer his bravery, his valor. Kids read comic books about him. They had posters of him up on their walls, probably. 
But this is how Jesus is greeted. When he arrives at Jerusalem, they're waving the palms again. People are hopeful for being saved, and to them that salvation looks like the way that Judas, the hammer, had saved Israel so many years before. The hammer is back, and his name is Jesus. Revolution has come. We will take back our freedom from this Roman empire. Hosanna. We will see those Roman soldiers head for the hills. We won't have to pay those Roman taxes anymore, and Caesar will be shaking in his boots. But then people are disappointed a few days later because Jesus doesn't violently use his power to save the people like they'd hoped. He just keeps talking and teaching. Some hammer he turned out to be. It's funny because it's clear to us in the Gospel of John that Jesus could have done it that way. Jesus had the power. Jesus could have been the hammer 2.0. Verse 3 in our scripture reading says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. The NIV translates it as, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So yes, Jesus has the power. He has the resources, but he doesn't use it in the way that anyone expects. Instead, he goes to a small room with his disciples and he ties a towel around his waist and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, we don't often wash someone's feet today, but back then it was pretty commonplace to have your feet washed. Everyone walked around in sandals and their feet got covered in dirt and dust throughout the day. And often when you were at a nice dinner, you were sitting in reclined seats, which meant your feet were level with the table. And so... At any nice meal, it was typical that a servant would come out and wash your feet. And this was a nobody. They weren't a part of the meal. They came out and washed feet. You might see them one more time when they refill your drinks or bring out your food. (laughs) But a nobody. They weren't a part of what was going on. And that's what makes verse 3 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John one of the most eye-catching in all of the Gospels. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. In other words, Jesus, knowing that God had given him all the power and all the resources over everything on the earth, put on an apron and got ready to serve the guests. It was backwards, Jesus. This seems beneath you. I'm often so grateful for Peter in the Gospels because he says and does so much of what we might be thinking in that moment. Jesus, I will never let you wash my feet. And it's not just about my pride, it's about you. How can you be the hammer of revolution with a serving basin and a towel? Listen, I know we've been talking a lot about kindness and service and being helpful, and that's great, but this is no time to give power away. Rome has everything, Jesus. The people are angry with you. You need need all the power you can get. We need more resources to get more power to make the change the world needs to see to bring the world to rights. Why don't you see that, Jesus? 
But it tells us that something is going on here that Peter doesn't understand and that we don't understand until much later. Jeremy Taylor, who was a reverend in the Church of England in the 17th century, explains the foot washing like this. He chose to wash their feet rather than their head that he might have the opportunity of a more humble posture and a more apt signification of his charity. Thus, God lays everything aside that he may serve his servants. Heaven stoops to earth. And one abyss calls to another. And the miseries of humanity, which are next to infinite, are exceeded by a mercy equal to the immensity of God. Peter wants the hammer, but he needs the mercy of God. Peter wants the hammer, but he needs the cross. Later, we'll see the same attitude from Peter when Jesus is getting arrested. The soldiers arrive, and they identify Jesus with Judas's help. And Jesus is willingly going with the soldiers, just saying, you can take me, but leave my friends. And Peter takes out his sword and attacks. Now is the time. Fight back. We have to take it back by force. And Jesus stops him. Put away your sword, he says. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? We want the hammer, but we need the cross. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he shows us what a Christian is meant to do with their power. We give it away. We serve. We lower ourselves to the form of a servant, and in doing so, we are serving God. One of the oldest hymns that we have in all of Scripture is in Philippians chapter 2. And this hymn is so old that Paul is quoting it from someone else. That's how you know it's old. (laughs) It must have been one of the very first things that followers of Christ sang together. And I want to end this sermon by doing something a little different. I'm going to read this hymn out loud, but so that you can really receive these words today, I want you to pull out your pew Bibles and just read quietly along with me. So I invite you to take a moment and take out your pew Bibles And turn to Philippians chapter 2, I think in your pew Bible, it's page 186 of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Hear these words from this ancient hymn. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name given to Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
And that's our task. We are called to love one another as Jesus loved us. We may want to be the hammer, but we are called to take up the cross. Amen.